Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist, the magical mystery tour called Life, Matthew DiBiase. Tonight's guest is baseball historian and author Bruce Markison. Bruce has that dream job which all baseball fanatics lust for all their lives. He has worked as the manager of digital and outreach learning at the Baseball Hall of Fame at Cooperstown, New York, since 2013. He has also been a columnist for the Hardball Times since 2009. He is also a member of the Society for American Baseball Research. He has published several books, mostly about baseball, but for tonight, we will discuss a, a specific topic. This coming Saturday, New Year's Eve, will mark the 50th anniversary of the tragic death of baseball immortal Roberto Clemente, who perished while leading a mission of mercy to aid victims of a massive earthquake in Nicaragua. Bruce Marquison is uniquely qualified to discuss Clemente's career because in 2014, he published the book Roberto Clemente, the great one. Bruce, welcome back to the show. I like to start off by asking you, how old were you when Roberto Clemente died in 1972? Well, Matt, I was only seven at the time. So my memories of, you know, that night hearing the news, they're kind of sketchy. They're, they're, they're a little bit on the scant side. Um, I have just some, some fleeting um images of you know seeing and hearing the newscasters talk about his death uh but then i do remember you know seeing some of the headlines in the paper uh shortly thereafter of course this was a time when you didn't have cable television you didn't have the internet uh things weren't as immediate you know and you weren't able to go to all these different sources when a you know a major breaking news story came down but certainly it was it was something that had an impact on me at a young age, um, and, and even more so, I think, on people that were, you know, fully, fully grown up, fully adults at that point. Uh, and you think about 50 years having passed and, you know, the impact of his death, the way that he lost his life in a heroic way, but also, of course, the impact of, you know, his, his legacy, which remains very positive. Uh, all of this is, is very strong. It, it is hard to believe it's 50 years ago uh, that all this happened. How high does Clemente stand in the pantheon of famous Pittsburgh athletes? I think you'd have to put him, you know, right there at the top. I mean, if you want to bring in some other sports, you know, you can talk about players like, uh, you know, Terry Bradshaw and Jack Lambert with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You can talk about Mario Lemieux with the Pittsburgh Penguins and the NHL. Uh, and in baseball, you can certainly talk about people like Hannes Wagner and Willie Stargell. Yeah. Uh, but I think Clemente is right, right at the top. Uh, he was a phenomenal player. And while he was probably never the best player in the game, he was among the top five or six for a long period of time. And then you just talk about his impact as far as being heroic, a humanitarian, uh, having a tremendous effect on people with uh, his charitable efforts, uh, the values that he um, really conveyed during his life. Um, and then you think about his impact in death. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing to me that some 50 years after his passing, uh, he's in some ways more famous now than he was when he was alive. Mm, yes. Even the younger generations of fans, they know about him. They know 
his story, uh, particularly the Latino players coming up, but also I think uh, fans in general, uh, fans you know, born here in the uh, United States mainland, they know about the Clemente story and they know something about him. So it is pretty remarkable how his legacy has, has stood uh, at this level, uh, even though it's now five decades since he's been gone. When he was playing, how long did it take for Pittsburgh fans to take Clemente to their hearts? Well, Matt, you know, his first five years, he was not a particularly good player. You know, he, he had a very undisciplined approach at the plate. Uh, the joke was that his strike zone ran from the first base dugout to the third base dugout. He tended to swing at a lot of pitches, a lot of pitches outside of the strike zone. He didn't get hit with power those first five years. And defensively, he sometimes was over-aggressive, made mistakes, threw the wrong bases. Uh, it wasn't until really the 1960 season that he began to break out as a player. And then I think it was probably a couple of years after that when Pittsburgh fans really started to embrace him as you know the signature player, the face of the franchise. So it, it probably wasn't until about 1964, 65, 66, when he really became this beloved figure in Pittsburgh baseball history. So it certainly was not overnight, um, but from the mid 60s, you know, till the end of his career, and, and, and even now, 50 years later, uh, you know, he has become absolutely beloved in uh, Pirates franchise history, and understandably so. How exactly did the Pirates sign Roberto Clemente? Well, originally he was signed by the Brooklyn Dodgers. This was back in the mid-1950s. This was before the Major League Draft. Uh, players were, um, whether they were uh, American-born players, Latino-born players, uh, they were essentially free agents. And the 16 teams at the time could make bids to acquire players. And there were a handful of teams that went after Clemente. The Brooklyn Dodgers ended up winning the bid. Now, because they gave him a bonus of more than $4,000, there was a rule at the time that said if you gave a player a bonus in excess of that, you then had to put him on the major league roster right away for a full season, or you would risk losing him. Mm. Well, Clemente was a raw talent at that point. This was 1954. Yeah. He wasn't ready for the major leagues. Uh, he really needed time in the minor leagues. So the Dodgers sent him to their AAA affiliated Montreal. They hoped that other team scouts would not catch on. Um, that, of course, was not the case. The Pittsburgh Pirates, among others, uh, who ended up having the first pick in what was essentially what we now call the Rule 5 draft, the Pirates were very well aware of what he did, even though he didn't put up particularly good statistics at Montreal. His numbers were not overwhelming, but they saw the raw talent that he had. So because of the, the rule at the time, the Dodgers ended up losing him. They had to expose him in this precursor of the Rule 5 draft, and the Pirates ended up uh, taking advantage of the situation. Now, they had to put him on the roster for the full season, and they did that. They kept him up. Um, they didn't send him out to, to AAA at all. Uh, and he did go through those growing pains in those early years, you know, 55 to 59. 
again, not very productive seasons for Roberto Clemente, uh, but in the long term, it certainly paid off. When Clemente finally got his batting stroke together and he really started becoming effective as a hitter, describe to our listeners what type of a hitter was he? Was he a home run hitter? Was he a singles hitter? Can you describe him as a batsman? Well, first of all, he was a very aggressive hitter, even though he did tame some of that aggression after those first five years and he did become a little more disciplined. Uh, He wanted to swing the bat. And he was known for being able to take pitches that were a little bit outside of the strike zone. And depending on whether those pitches were outside or inside, you know, he could kind of use the whole field and drive the ball. He was not what I would call a slugger. He was not a pure power hitter like a a Willie Mays or a Hank Aaron or a Frank Robinson. But he certainly had power. He had 240 career home runs. And it's likely if he didn't play most of his career at Forbes Field, which was rather cavernous, it's very likely he would have hit more home runs, maybe 300 plus. Yeah. Um, what I would I would call him a, a very skilled hitter with power. Uh, he hit the ball to all fields. He hit a lot of doubles and triples. He had terrific speed. Never stole a lot of bases, but he could take the extra base. Uh, he was somebody who could stretch singles into doubles, doubles into triples. And, you know, he would usually hit in the range of about, you know, 12 to 18 home runs. And then he had a couple of seasons in the mid-60s where he hit over 20, where he really kind of expanded his game. Yeah. Uh, so when you think about him in terms of the, uh, you know, whether he was a slugger or kind of a skilled batsman, um, he, he was really first and foremost a very skilled hitter uh, with some power. I, maybe a comp might be somebody like, uh, Paul Molitor um, of more recent times, or if you think of one of his contemporaries, uh, very similar to Al Kaline. Al Kaline was not a pure slugger either, but he did have you know gap power, and he would hit uh, the occasional home run. I think Kaline finished with over 300 home runs for his career. So they were they were both very similar players um, in that respect. But what really, I think, set Clemente apart, he broke a lot of the rules of hitting. Mm. If you look at some of the tape of him, he often hit off his front foot, seemed off balance. Uh, Nobody would teach you to hit off your front foot the way that he did. Uh, Sometimes, you know, his back foot would be completely off the ground, did not look like he was balanced at all. Uh, He would swing at pitches outside of the strike zone. He did not draw a lot of walks. Mm. So in terms of you know, technical aspects, um, you know, he, he didn't come from the Ted Williams philosophy. He was not a textbook hitter, but it was a style that worked for him individually. Yeah. What made Clemente such a great outfielder? I mean, you notice he, there was some, pro, you told, mentioned earlier, you could be a little over aggressive in certain things or throwing to the wrong base. But when he finally got it together, how fabulous an outfielder was he? Oh, he's a phenomenal right fielder. He actually came up, played some center field for the Pirates his rookie season before eventually settling into right field. Uh, He had excellent speed. You know, he could cover a lot of ground, uh, both toward the gap and toward the line. Uh, Got a good jump on the ball. Uh, He was the kind of uh, athletic guy, you know, who could make diving, sliding catches. Yeah. Uh, but then his, his throwing arm, in my mind, uh, second to none. I've been watching baseball now 
for about 50 years, since 1972, and I have yet to see a player uh, match the uh, the throwing skills in terms of both a powerful arm but also an accurate arm. You know, I've seen him make plays where he would throw the ball from the warning track to home plate on one bounce. Uh, that's something you almost never see. There have been some great outfielders, you know, Dave Parker, uh, Dwight Evans, Ichiro had a great throwing arm. Uh, but in terms of consistently combining power with accuracy, I've never seen a throwing arm as good as Roberto Clemente's. How conscious was Clemente when he was alive that he was a, a cultural icon to Hispanic Americans and Latin America as a whole? Was he conscious of it? Well, I don't know so much that he was conscious of being an icon. He was certainly proud of his Puerto Rican heritage, his Latino heritage, um, and that was something that he was very conscious of. Um, when people called him Bob or Bobby, he didn't like that. He told them, hey, my name is Roberto. I'm Puerto Rican. I'm proud of that heritage. So that that part of his identity was something that uh, was, was certainly uh, something he paid a lot of attention to. Um, in terms of whether he was aware that he was uh, iconic or famous, you know, he didn't really talk about it that much. I, I, I guess privately he was probably aware of that. And maybe toward the latter stages of his career, he realized that, you know, he was accepted as a superstar. Uh, but I also suspect that, you know, he maybe had some, some self-doubts too, because for much of his career he was underrated. Mm -hmm. He played in a small town, small market in Pittsburgh. Uh, he was overshadowed by players like Hank Aaron. Uh, like Willie Mays, also great outfielders. Uh, they were certainly more famous than him. Uh, so he may have felt that uh, in some ways he was underappreciated. Uh, but in terms of his Latino heritage, no, he was definitely aware of that. Um, he bristled at, um, you know, efforts to Americanize him. Mm. Uh, he hated when writers phonetically quoted him, incorporating his Latino accents. He felt this was done intentionally to make him look or sound less than intelligent. Yeah. Uh, he really didn't like that at all. So, uh, you know, he's certainly aware of his heritage um, in terms of whether he was fully aware of his, uh, you know, stature as a, as a famous baseball figure. Um, not as clear on that. How much did Clemente help the Pirates win the 1960 World Series? Well, we all focus on Bill Mazeroski's home run to end the series, Game 7. But Clemente very quietly hit 300 that series. He had hits in all seven games. He played a flawless right field. He, he was very good. Uh, he was among the Pirates' three or four best players during that series. Um, it just, it, you know, he didn't necessarily come up with the, the timely hit that um, drew a lot of attention. Uh, but he played very well uh, throughout that series against the heavily favored Yankees. So he was certainly a big part of that. Um, it just pales in comparison to what he did in 1971, because that's when he absolutely took the Pirates on his back and carried them to a victory. He did as much as, as one player could do. Uh, but in 1960, um, he was certainly uh, an important part of one of the great upsets in World Series history.
If I recall correctly in that famous game seven, didn't he beat out an infield hit against Jim Coates that helped set up Hal Smith's go-ahead home run that made it 9-7? Wasn't he didn't that help set that up? You know, he beat out a hit in the infield. Yeah, that was a key play. A lot of people have described that play as uh, Jim Coates, the pitcher for the Yankees, uh, being slow to cover first base uh, and was unable to get to the bag on time. But if you look at the replays, uh, Coates pretty much immediately breaks to first. Uh, it's just that he wasn't as fast as Clemente. Uh, Clemente was a guy who ran everything out. He hustled, and he ran very fast, very well. He just beat Coates to the bag. So it really wasn't a case of Coates making a mistake like some have made him out to be. It was just a case of Roberto Clemente's uh, tremendous hustle. Um, and that was something that was characteristic of him uh, for most of his career. You know, he took some criticism early. There were some accusations of him not running balls out. There's not a lot of tape to confirm that, but certainly in the later years of his career, from you know, certainly from 60 on, uh, he was he was a hustling player who went all out, didn't take things for granted. He hit pop-ups, ground outs. He put his head down and ran hard to first base. Getting to the 71 World Series, isn't it true that when that famous moment after they won it all and after Game 7, when Clemente spoke in Spanish to his family after they won the series, isn't that like an, an, uh, an immortal moment in Hispanic-American cultural history when he did that? Yeah, I think there's definitely some significance there. You know, he was being interviewed by Bob Prince in the clubhouse moments after the Game 7 victory. And before he was going to answer Prince's question, he wanted to take a moment to offer his blessing to his mother and father. They were watching at home in Puerto Rico, and he wanted to take a moment to speak to them in Spanish. Um, there may have been a number of people who didn't know exactly what he said. Um, there was no translation that was, that was made by Bob Prince or anyone else. Um, but if you knew Spanish, you knew that he was basically honoring his mother and father who were not able to be uh, in Baltimore for the series, for Game 7. Um, the fact that he would take that moment to you know, recognize his parents, uh, to speak to them in Spanish, the language they spoke, uh, it was certainly uh, something that Latino baseball fans, Spanish-speaking baseball fans, uh, took notice of. It was it was live. It was on national television in the locker room uh, with Bob Prince um, uh, initiating it. Uh, and again, you know, Clemente eventually got around to answering Prince's question, but wanted to make sure that first he did give his parents blessing, and uh, people have rightly recognized that ever since. If Clemente had not died in 1972 and he had lived a normal you know, a long, healthy life. Do you think we, do we have any idea what his life would have been after baseball? I mean, did, did he ever have any inklings about what he saw when his career ended? When you were doing your research, did you get any uh, ideas or any notions about what he would have been? Well, first off, he definitely would have come back to play in 1973. Yeah. There had been some talk after the 72 season that he might retire. But he did confirm uh, at some point after the season that he was going to come back and play likely one more year, 1973. Uh, then at that point, he probably would have retired. 
a lot of people have speculated that he would have become a manager mm. uh, because he had managed with success in the Puerto Rican Winter League. Uh, he was a guy that um, uh, took some pride in managing, was very old school in his approach. Mm. Uh, he demanded that his players uh, work hard, play hard, follow the rules. Uh, that was the kind of manager that he would have been. I'm not so sure, though, that he would have become a manager. I think he was a guy who was very concerned with the political situation in Puerto Rico, uh, the social structure there. Uh, I think he would have been driven to run for some kind of political office. Mm. Uh, it wouldn't have shocked me if at some point he maybe tried to run for governor uh, mm. of, of Puerto Rico or or maybe be a mayor in his hometown on a smaller scale. Uh, I really think because he was concerned about uh, the Puerto Rican people, especially the poverty in Puerto Rico, uh, he wanted to help those people. And I, I really think at some point, maybe not right away, uh, but I think eventually he would have entered the political world and, and would have done something along those lines. And, and maybe he would have dabbled in managing, too. I think he likely would have been very good at it. He was... Uh, very intelligent. Uh, as I said, he was he was an old school guy. Uh, even though he had you know had been a player, uh, he believed you played the game the right way. You played hard. You hustled at all times. You followed the rules. You know when he did manage in the Puerto Rican Winter League, uh, he had a lot of problems with Mike Cuellar, the <laughs> veteran pitcher. Yeah. Cuellar was a guy, um, an established pitcher by that point, very good pitcher, but didn't really follow the rules. You know about mm -hmm. Uh, you know, going through pregame workouts, getting his running in, uh, and, and Clemente had to discipline him at a couple of times. And they, there was a real conflict there. Cuellar felt, hey, I'm a veteran. I should be able to do what I want. And Clemente was like, you know, I'm not going to have any of that. I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter that you're a major league player. You're playing for my team in the Puerto Rican Winter League. You're going to follow the rules that we have. So yeah. um, he would not have been a light touch as a manager. I think he would have been – uh, very strict, and uh, uh, I don't know if I'd say he'd be a disciplinarian, but uh, I think he's a guy that uh, would have had some, some demands and some basic rules that he wanted followed. Tell me if this is true or not, that at the present modern-day PNC Park in Pittsburgh, the right field wall is exactly 21 feet high in honor of Clemente's number 21. Is that correct, true? I believe there is one stretch of the wall that's like that. I don't, I don't know how much of the wall is 21 feet, but there is at least part of it. Um, and it is in right field, as you say. Um, but I, I'm just not sure. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how, how much of it uh, is 21 feet high. Um, I, I'd have to take a look at uh, another look at the stadium. But uh, you are correct that at least part of that fence is like that. Bruce, please tell our listeners, where can they find your book on Clemente and also all your other books, too? Well, the, uh, the Clemente book originally came out with uh, a company called Sports Publishing, uh, which unfortunately went out of business a number of years ago. There is another company that has taken over. Um, so it is available in a, in a paperback uh, format. If you see hardcover editions out there, those are originals from 1998 sports publishing, but you will see, uh, you, you will be able to find it in paperback. Uh, the new um, updated version actually does have an additional chapter 
on his legacy, uh, some of the things that have happened with the Roberto Clemente Sports City in his native Puerto Rico. That was uh, one of the dreams that he had, but unfortunately the, the Sports City um, ran into some financial problems, currently not active. Um, so there, there are two, uh, two editions of the book out there. Uh, you can find both of them uh, from, uh, from Amazon. Um, it's escaping me the name of the new publisher. For some reason, I, shouldn't, uh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, uh, there is a new publisher uh, uh, that, that put out uh, the newer edition. That came out about 10 or 11 years ago. Um, and again, you'll see that that is in a paperback format um, uh, that you should be able to find easily enough on uh, Amazon or eBay. Bruce, are you working on any new book projects? And if so, what's it about and when can we expect its release? Well, I've actually been working uh, with a former pirate, uh, not quite as famous as Roberto Clemente, uh, but a very good player. He was part of the 1979 World Championship team, Mike Eastler, nicknamed mm. the Hitman. Mm. Uh, Mike approached me several years ago about wanting to do a book and asked me to uh, work with him on it. Uh, so uh, we've been working, it's going to be uh, in autobiographical form, talking about his uh, life uh, growing up, days in the minor leagues, his days in the major leagues, some of the work that he's done as a hitting instructor. Um, we're probably 90% done on the manuscript, so we still do have some work to do. I'm hoping that we can finish up the manuscript sometime in 2023 and then uh, pursue a publisher at that point. And if everything goes well, perhaps it'll be out in 2024. So uh, Mike Eastler, who is a, a really good player, uh, an excellent hitter, a fine role player, played for the Pirates, uh, Yankees, uh, Phillies, Red Sox, among other teams, um, uh, a real good guy, uh, still active as a uh, speaker, motivational speaker, and as a hitting instructor, does a lot of uh, traveling around the country. So it's it's been fun working with Mike on that project. Bruce, I want to thank you so much for appearing on the show. May you have a, a, a wonderful and peaceful and safe new year, and please take care. Matt, thank you very much. Uh, same to you as well. Appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Okay. Bye -bye. Take care. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for next week's show, where I will begin my fourth season of The Package Tourist by interviewing an old friend, novelist Neil Perry Gordon. And I'd just like to remind our listeners that uh, even though Christmas has passed, my, my latest book, Lords of the Gridiron 2, Pro Football's Greatest Coaches, is still on sale at Amazon at 30% off and will remain on sale until after Super Bowl 57 is played in mid-February. So if you've got a gift card and you're looking to spend some good money on a great read, please buy my book. It's there at Amazon. Lords of the Gridiron 2, Pro Football's Greatest Coaches. Thank you. Uh, I want to say thank you to all my listeners for sustaining me for my third season. And I can't wait to begin my fourth season next week. Take care. Happy New Year. And God bless you. <laughs>